Hello and welcome to Mean Green Money, the UNT Student Money Management Center podcast that explores everything you need to know to manage your money in college and beyond. Today I am here with two of our study abroad ambassadors to talk about how to plan for a study abroad trip financially and how to actually manage your money while you're on the trip to make sure that you don't run out and get to enjoy everything that you want to enjoy in that country. The two of you go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Lauren. I'm a senior here at UNT. I'm an anthropology major with a double minor in Chinese and social science. Uh, I went to China for a month about two summers ago, and I'm also the faculty-led assistant for the study abroad office. My name is Andrew Tate. I'm a Converge Broadcast Media major. I studied abroad in London for five weeks this last summer, uh, studying British broadcasting, the history, and where it is today. So what made you two interested in studying abroad? Uh, I had a lot of friends that were going to go on the trip. I didn't find out about it through the study abroad office. Uh, A professor I knew really well was sponsoring it, and so that's kind of how I got my introduction to it. Um, I have been taking Chinese since I was really young, and so I really wanted to go to China and finish up my minor while I was over there, and it was a good way to end my eight-year journey of Chinese, was to take it in China. Eight years. Yeah. Were you pretty fluent at this point after being there? Is there still a long way to go? I'm, I'm pretty fluent, but I do have some things to learn still. Okay. Yeah, and I know a lot of students are interested in studying abroad, but I'm sure one of the first questions that comes up a lot is the cost. Was the cost a factor or a big thing in you deciding where to go, when to go, if you were going or not? Um, For me, it wasn't. uh, That was kind of a gift from my parents to just say, congratulations on finishing your minor. We're going to do this for you. Um, But while working at the study abroad office, I have noticed it is a big uh, challenge for students. So uh, definitely understand where they're coming from. Yeah, definitely. For me, the financial thing was a big one. And uh, kind of the way that I looked at it was just looking at the estimated cost of the trip and then looking backwards on where I already had money saved up and then ways to get uh, to fundraise. Okay. So when you were looking at fundraising for your trip, um, were you mainly looking at, I, I'm, I'm going to work, or did you, were you asking friends and family for help, or did you get a second job or anything like that? Uh, so I already worked two jobs, and so there wasn't a, really a way to add a third one. <laughs> yeah. but that app- would have been a little bit difficult. Yeah, and so uh, applying for scholarships, and then I know a lot of people uh, do GoFundMe. Some people kind of resist them uh, for whatever reasons. I did a GoFundMe, and then also uh, contributions from family and friends. Those are really helpful. Okay, so there's a lot of kind of support from from all directions there. And I had actually just had my birthday like four days before I left, so a lot of my friends and family were just giving me cash so I could convert it into Chinese Kwai, so that I could have some spending money that didn't come directly out of my savings, so that is definitely a great, I guess, fundraiser to do. Yes. Always always good to have a birthday. Yes. Yeah, I want to give you gifts right before a trip, I'm sure. Um, but within that, you mentioned you know having some savings and... Uh, getting that money. And I know your parents helped you out, but I'm sure they're not just an unlimited fountain of money for no, the trip. No, they're not. <laughs> How did you plan, you know, while you were there to make sure that you had enough money to last for the whole trip? So the study abroad office actually does a really good job of giving an itemized budget sheet on how much you need to pay for tuition, 
books and materials, an estimated flight if you need a visa, and a passport. And they do give you a estimated amount of spending money for how long you're there, which includes meals. So I based it off of that and did go a little bit higher because I know I do like to get little knickknacks and souvenirs. And so I just tried to budget as I went. I would take just a small portion of my money a day when I went out for the day to make sure I had enough for meals and then just some extra spending money if I needed it. Was there ever anything you wanted to buy or wanted to do that you had to say no to because it wasn't in the budget for the day? Towards the end of my trip, I didn't <laughs> yeah. do that um, just because I'd gotten a little excited throughout, but there was never a time where I had just run out of money. Okay. I feel like I did a pretty good job budgeting. And in China, you can haggle prices quite a bit um, when you go to markets and stuff. And speaking Chinese, I was pretty good at that. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you learn about kind of the cultural differences? And, you know, here you go to the store and it's very uncommon to haggle. Was that something you were naturally comfortable with or knew a lot about or did you have to prepare? I did have to prepare a little bit. I knew about the culture from my language classes previously. Um, I did take a language class while I was there and they kind of taught us how to do that because not many of us were from Asia where that is very common. Uh, so we did have, I think one of our first lessons was how to haggle and how to help drive the price way down. <laughs> yeah. And so did you end up saving a lot of money because of that? I did. I actually got a guy to go like 75% down on a little Buddha statue. It was pretty exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a pretty good win. Um, and did you have a similar experience where you were kind of taking a certain amount of money every day, or did you have a different method? So like uh, Lauren mentioned, there's the budget sheets that Study Abroad does, Um and the, the, that was pretty accurate for my trip. And so what I did is I divided like the the spending that they said was like on your own, like the food and the souvenirs. And I divided that by the weeks, put a little bit of buffer in there. And then I actually got a second debit card and I would load that up with the amount of money that I had budgeted to spend each week. And so that way I kind of kept on track with the budget. But with as far as like negotiating prices, I didn't have much luck with that in the <laughs> markets in London, but I did go to Salzburg uh, for a weekend and the cab drivers there, I was able to negotiate with, they like, for some reason, since I was from America, they were like, Oh, well we can adjust the prices for that. And they, they would drop it down if I like left them a good review. And so that that's the extent of my negotiations. <laughs> that's interesting though, um, to see kind of the cultural differences. Were there other differences that you just noticed from your interactions with people who are citizens of that country that the mindset people had on, on money in China or in London was different than the mindsets that people have on money here? I know in China, they either use cash or their phones to pay. There wasn't a lot of card payment. They use an app called WeChat that basically just, it's like Apple Pay. You have your money on your phone and you just scan your phone. There were a lot of restaurants I couldn't go to because I didn't do that. I only carried cash with okay. me. Okay, and they wouldn't accept They wouldn't cash. accept any cash. But a lot of the locals saw that we were American, and they would take our cash and then pay for our meals for us through their WeChat, okay, which was really nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, monetarily, that was the biggest difference. I noticed that there were just some places that didn't take cash. That was strange to me. And I noticed in London, uh, like, contactless is a big thing. So, like, Apple Pay, the Samsung version, and then, like, contactless cards. Cash, it, they use cash, but it's really 
like contactless heavy. Uh, a lot of the stores and the restaurants, uh, they didn't really like to divide up checks. They just wanted one card and they just tapped it on something and then you were done. Okay. That sounds convenient, which can be really great for convenience, yeah. but I'm sure when it's as easy as just tapping your phone or something, you, you're removed a little bit from the pain of departing with cash. It is very strange. I, since I was only there for such a short time, I didn't worry about getting any kind of debit card or putting money on my WeChat. And if I had been there longer, I definitely would have done that. I thought cash would have been the best way. Budgeting wise, it was, it was very easy to see. This is how much money I have, and I can't go over <laughs> yeah. this. Um, but just with how their society's moving, it was a little difficult. The two of you kind of natural budgeters, um, before you went on your trip, do you use some of those same techniques, you know, in your day-to-day life that you had to use when you were abroad? Or was it just, I'm in a new situation now, I have to be a lot more strict with the money? For me, yeah. Uh, my grandma's a county treasurer and my other grandma is a financial planner, so the budgeting was already kind of in me. It's been something that I've been doing for a couple of years, so it wasn't that new to me, but a lot of the people I traveled with, it was very new to them, kind of figuring out how to figure out what they were going to spend each week and make sure they didn't overspend. Were there any common things that you saw the other students on your trip struggling with when it came to figuring out how much to spend? I think... For some of them, that conversion, even though pound to dollar isn't that big of a difference, there were a lot of people that would try to do the conversion and they thought they were getting a really good deal on something and they would spend a bunch of money only to realize that they probably either weren't getting a good deal or the because they used their U.S. debit card, there was a uh, international transaction fee and it just really wasn't worth it in the end. And it would, it would usually be something stupid like a scoop of ice cream or like an extra something at dinner that they didn't really need. Okay. So it can be a lot of things where you don't think you're spending that much money, but when you add in what it costs in foreign transaction fees, or if you're not thinking about the exchange rate, it can be more than yeah. what you think it is. Um, did you have, were you, were you a cash based person while you were there? Or were you using a uh, you know, credit card without exchange fees? I was, uh, it kind of mixed for me. So at night I would just take my phone out. It was easy to use contactless wherever I went during the day. It was cash only, uh, pounds are plastic, uh, bills. So you don't have to worry about them ripping or getting damaged. It was super convenient, but at night it was nice to just have the phone. One thing I had to carry. Yeah. You don't have to worry about losing, losing yeah. more things than yeah. you want to, I'm sure. Uh, did you notice the same thing where there were, um, you might have been okay if you were used to budgeting, um, but students around you might have had more difficulties. Yeah, I, I did a pretty good job at budgeting while I'm here in Texas, but um, when I was in China, it was definitely heightened because I didn't have that extra help. With, you know, mom and dad's not there. Uh, and then with China, the exchange rate is a lot cheaper. So everything that you buy is usually cheaper in China. So what people struggled with on my program was, oh, well, everything here is cheaper so I can buy a lot more. And so they were a lot more ready to spend money. And by the end, I was having to buy a couple people dinner and lunch so that they could actually eat that day because they (laughs) ran out of money. Okay, so yeah, there's, there's the temptation of not realizing that you're spending too much and then the temptation of, oh, it's... Everything is so cheap. I just want to buy everything. And then we a lot of my friends also had trouble with the international fees, which is something I'm happy that I did bring cash for. 
I didn't have to worry about adding that extra fee at the end that a lot of my friends have that issue. Is that something that, you know, as ambassadors, when you're talking to students, um, something that you talk to them about planning for is looking for, you know, credit cards without foreign transaction fees or um, bringing cash so you don't have to worry about that? Yeah, or at least budgeting for it. I mean, I know a lot of places it's kind of inevitable. Most societies are moving away from cash, um, much like I mentioned with China, and sometimes it's just inevitable. And so just budgeting for that or talking to your bank about other options um, is something I always bring up. My credit card already didn't have international transaction fees, so I wasn't that concerned, but I also took with me like a hundred US dollars to convert as soon as I got there. So I already had some cash and I think that like if you're just getting there and you're not exactly sure, like I had no clue that they were very contactless and didn't really swipe cards or use the chip as much. So taking the cash was helpful in the transition, getting to figure out how they were based and there were people that went and they didn't think about their card not working or the transaction fees. And so they had wished that they had brought cash to convert as soon as they got there. So they would start out kind of getting things figured out. Was that something that you did any research on beforehand? Uh, I know you mentioned it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I knew a little bit. The big shock was how much the airport people will take out of your uh, exchange. So I learned to never do that again. Um, so, Were there any other little you know, kind of quirky financial things that you learned that would be helpful to somebody else thinking about going to London or China? I know for me, um, the study abroad office has two really great scholarships. I got one of them, uh, and it took $1,700 off of my program fee that I just didn't have to worry about. It was really nice. Um, And then we also have a travel grant that's $500. So signing up for those through our website is something that we definitely recommend that students do. Um, you just have to write an essay, and you have to have a FAFSA on file. It's pretty easy to get. Yeah. Um, the travel grant is a little selective, but you know we can always use this. You can use the same essay for both, which is also really nice. Save us and you a little bit of time when we're reviewing it. And also, uh, to add on to that, a lot of students don't think about summer financial aid. It's super easy. You don't have to go through 10 steps to get it. It's on your my.unt. You just, there's a button and you click it. It says how many hours you're taking. Um, But surprises, I think one of the big ones was a lot of people that I went with couldn't get used to not tipping. Like we would go out, they would have great service, and they wanted to leave like a 20% tip and they were so accustomed to that. And our homestay family was like, no, like you, you don't want to do that. Like they'll, they'll think you're a foolish American. It's just not the custom. And I think that was a big adjustment for a lot of people. And I think researching the culture that you're possibly going into, no matter how long you're there is extremely important because while they can tell that most of us are American, you don't want to offend anyone while you're in their culture. What is the what are the best places to do that research? Um, as someone who makes a lot of the faculty-led websites, we do link students to Wikipedia. And I know that in the academic world, that's a big no-no, but they do have a lot of great information about um, the culture as a whole, the history, um, the do's and don'ts. And I also found a lot of information um, on Pinterest, believe it or not. If you just type in the place you want to go and tips, so China tips, 
a lot of great stuff came up on that too. For me, the professor I went with, she's gone to London for probably 20 years, I think. So she knew those things. And so if you're on a faculty-led program, I think sometimes it's as simple as just asking the professor you're with, hey, like, what what are some culture things I need to know, whether it's the money or getting around the city, um, things like that. And I think that's a really good point. We do have two other kinds of programs as well, affiliate and exchange um, both of those do tend to be a little bit more long-term. I did affiliate when I went abroad, and you are more on your own, so you do have to do more of that research on your own. Not saying that the study abroad office or someone in your department here won't help you, but that is something that you need to keep in mind is if you're on one of those, you are a little bit more independent, whereas the faculty like you can't ask the faculty leader. So it sounds like you had to do a little bit more strict budgeting while you were on your trip. Did any of that carry over to after you were um, back in the U.S., changing anything about the way that you think about money or that you handled money, even in the short term, if it didn't stick forever? It definitely changed a lot for me because, like I mentioned earlier, things are a lot cheaper in China. So when I came back, I was I had a little bit of a culture shock coming back with, oh, well, in China this was a dollar, but here it's almost five. I don't have money for that. I need to save up, just as an example. That was something that took quite a while for me to uh, get back into, and that has definitely helped my budgeting skills now. I think for me the big one was life doesn't stop while you're abroad. Uh, I came back and my car didn't turn on. And so I, I did budget for like emergency situation while I was abroad and no emergency happened. So I was able to use that money when I got back for that kind of stuff. Um, and so that kind of like carried over, like just planning ahead, like this might happen while, <clears throat> excuse me, this might happen while I'm there, but it didn't. Now I'm back. I have that already set aside. And I think a lot of people don't think about those situations like, right before I go while I'm there after anything that might come up that you need the money set aside for. And that is something really important that we do like to talk about in our study abroad 101s. Life doesn't stop while you're abroad. Things still happen while you're at home, while they could happen while you're abroad. And you're going to be most likely in between paychecks when you get back if you have taken leave off from your job. And so that is something that we need to think about. So how do you recommend the students think about, you mentioned having an emergency fund for when you're abroad or being you know, between paychecks. Are there any kind of rules of thumb that you use to help students figure out how much they should have saved for those things? I just kind of guessed a random amount. I did 1500 I figured that was enough for a flight home if somebody died and that that's kind of was my big concern. I have a lot of family that's older, so if somebody passed away, I would have money for a flight home. Okay, so it was just kind of thinking about, you know, what's the most likely worst case scenario, and how can I be ready to guard against that thing? Yeah, in my case, that's what I did. Okay. And I know in my case, um, my dad flew all over the world for years and years and years, and he had a lot of airline miles racked up. So for my flight from DFW all the way to Shanghai, it was $30. Oh, wow. That's so a deal. <laughs> we kind of saved the what it would have been between that and $30 <laughs> as kind of my emergency fund if something were to have gone wrong. Okay. Just figure out what I was going to ask. Something else? 
In our office, the Student Money Management Center, we also do study abroad coaching sessions where you, as a student who's thinking about studying abroad, can come and we can sit down with you and help you plan for some of the costs. So if you're concerned about how you're going to pay for the original expenses, how you're going to budget, how you're going to transition when you come back, the study abroad ambassadors are really great because they've been there and they've experienced it. But if you just want somebody to talk to you about budgeting, our office is here for that too. So we can sit down with you. you know, we don't cost anything because we're an on-campus office and help you make that plan. Is that something that either of you took advantage of when you were thinking of planning it, or were you confident enough in the skills you learned from your grandmother that in your family's help that you didn't visit us? I didn't visit um, just because I felt that I had good enough budgeting skills, but I still wish I had just to make sure maybe get some extra tips and tricks. Uh, after doing a couple study abroad 101s myself, leading them, and listening to the student money management person that comes in, uh, I really wish I had taken advantage of that perk that UNT offers. I didn't take advantage of it, but I several people on my trip, they used a company called STA Travel to, and what that does is you can book your flight months before you go on your trip, but you just pay a small deposit. And so I know several people that did like the short-term loan from the Student Money Management Center, and that helped them get their STA flight covered and then they paid that off when they got their next paycheck because um, sometimes you don't have the money to buy the flight right away and right. so I know there were several people that loan helped them out uh, fairly like big that was big for them yeah because we have um, apart from our one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions we also do have that emergency loan program usually learn you know used primarily for emergency expenses but sometimes we are able to approve students for things like, you know, traveling or textbooks or supplies that you might need. Um, so definitely, if you have some questions, talk to the study abroad ambassadors and come talk to us in our office because we're both here to be resources for you when you're thinking about how you're going to make this trip and make this leap. Mm -hmm. So what was what was the best part? Not not financially related, but just, you know, what was the best part and why should other students think about studying abroad? For me, I have had an interest in China since I was probably in kindergarten and getting to finish my Chinese career quite literally on the Great Wall, that is how I finished my study abroad program, was absolutely magical. Uh, it is an experience that I will never forget and oh. <laughs> it gets me emotional. Yeah, uh, it, I think about mine makes me emotional too. Uh, I'd never been out of the country. So that was big for me. And then, like, there was just the UK and the US culturally are very similar, but they're also very different. Like, financially, I found a lot of people were very laid back. Like, my home state parents were like, oh, don't worry about money. Like, they, they weren't paying for anything for me, but they kept on saying, you know, money isn't everything. Like, you just got to enjoy your time while you're here. And that may be really bad advice, but it was also kind of nice, like, hey, I am here. Like, I should enjoy it. I can I can spend a little more than, like, what I would if I was home. But And that kind of relates to the whole culture. I found they're very laid back. And also the tube and, like, public transit isn't something a lot of people in Texas really experience. And in London, that's how like almost everybody gets around and that was just amazing. So how did you draw the line between I'm in London or I'm in China so I need to spend a little bit of extra money to enjoy it and I don't want to go broke just because I'm here. 
for me, my big thing was you have to eat today. I didn't want to have to, I felt that it was important that I kept up being healthy, still eating meals. And so if it became, if it came down to me getting a little souvenir or me getting dinner that night, I would definitely choose dinner and see if there was another day I could budget for whatever it was that I wanted or it wasn't that important. I really thought if it was something that I would regret when I got back missing out on, it was worth it uh, to do. And there were things that I thought, I was like, I didn't go to the London Eye. A lot of people were surprised about that. I didn't really care about taking a Ferris wheel or whatever it is up for however long it is. That just didn't seem worth it. And it's not cheap to do that. And so that was something I thought, you know, I'm not going to regret it if I don't do it. And going off of that, I had an experience that it was the opposite for me. I had the opportunity to actually go up into the top of the second tallest building in the world. And I wasn't too excited about it. I wasn't happy about spending my money on it. But I was so happy in the end that I did because I got to look out over all of Shanghai and become really good friends with a girl I met from Germany. And it ended, I ended up being happier that I went than if I hadn't. Okay. You know, proves a lot of the points in general budgeting is that what's important to some people isn't equally as important to other people. So when you're, when you're thinking about budgeting, it's okay if not everyone's budget looks the same, right? Because exactly. if, if, you're the, if you value seeing the London Eye, then it might be worth it to you, whereas other people, they might prefer to you know, be able to save more money and say they spent less or just spend it on a different event or attraction or trip that really matters to them. So just because you're, you, know, you have one budget and somebody else is completely different doesn't mean that either of you are bad budgeters. You just have different priorities. Exactly. Like, it's your study abroad trip. You may be there with your friends, but they didn't pay for you to be there. And if they're not going to pay for you to do something, I would tell anybody, don't let somebody pressure you into doing something and spending money while you're abroad. If you don't want to do it, just say, hey, like, I'm going to save my money for something else. Because you do have to budget for your... the things that you do. And if you're not interested, don't be peer pressured into doing something. In this study abroad program, the reason you're going abroad is to is for personal growth. If there's something that you want to be doing that your friends don't necessarily want to do or vice versa, you need to do what makes you happy. You need to do what's going to get you the best experience out of your study abroad program because that's the whole point of it. So in our last few minutes, let's talk about kind of some of the practical steps. So if there's a student out there listening saying, hmm, maybe I want to study abroad, what's step one that they should do? So step one is definitely going to a study abroad 101. Those are sessions that kind of explain what the differences are between our three programs, affiliate, faculty-led, and exchange. Uh, Just some of the different aspects, including what the budget is like, how independent you have to be, that good stuff. And then the second half of it is focused on budgeting. So you do a budgeting game and you figure out what, how you're supposed to really budget when you're abroad. Uh, and that's how a lot of our students get introduced to it. We also have what's called Discover programs that there's sessions that are focused on different regions or different types of programs. I know I run the faculty-led ones um, as well as my boss, Catherine, um, and we focus on kind of what faculty-led is and how to find our information on the website. Okay. And how far in advance, 
because I know there's there's a deposit that needs to be put down, or if you're looking for a passport or something like that, that's going to take some time. If a student is thinking, oh, I want to study abroad in the fall, when do they have to, you know, start thinking about those costs and actually putting money towards that trip? I know I studied abroad in the summer of 2017. That feels so long ago, um, and I had started planning by, I think October of. 2016. So we do recommend roughly a year to nine months in advance just so that you can have all those fees paid, you have time to get your passport, and if something happens, you have time to fix those problems with your passport. Um, and if you need a visa, sometimes those can take a while. I would say the passport thing, even if you're not sure about studying abroad, get your passport. Um, it's useful in a lot of situations, but also uh, studies show that if you have a passport, you're more likely to study abroad eventually. And so just getting it taken care of, having your passport, like there's no harm in getting it done. You, you'll you be able to use it. I think it's good for 10 years. So you might as well just get it. Okay. It's just one of those little, little hurdles that once you've encountered that, then the rest of the process seems a little bit less daunting. And the we have a passport office on campus. Uh, it's in the study abroad office. Yes. Yeah. So you get your passport taken care of in the study abroad office. And while you're there, you can get a information flyer on a program you might be interested in or find out when there's a study abroad 101. Um, so it, it kind of gets you in the door uh, working on your passport and then also uh, learning a little more about study abroad. And oh. <laughs> uh, that is a great point. We do have a passport office um, within the study abroad office. Uh, and a lot of people, the main question they ask about passports is how long will it take for me to get it? Uh, with standard processing, it is four to six weeks. So that is something that you don't have to plan super ahead for, but we do recommend don't wait until the last minute because that will stress you out and that will stress us out. I'm sure. And even in talking to students and planning for study abroad trips, the further in advance that you come, go to that study abroad 101 or come and talk to us for a study abroad coaching session, the easier it's going to be to make a plan. Because when you're looking at something nine months out from your trip, it's easy to brainstorm ways of that maybe you could earn some extra money or reconfigure a budget to put something away or family members that you could talk to. There are a lot more options nine months ahead of the trip than when you come in, you know, two months ahead of your trip, still a little bit unsure how you can pay for it. So if you come in with more time, we have a lot more options. If you come in at the last minute, it's going to be a lot harder for us to find a way to make it happen for you that doesn't involve just taking out a bunch of loans. And I know that if um, any parents are involved, I went through this. My parents had a lot of questions. They didn't study abroad when they were younger, so they didn't know how the process worked, and I was brand new to college. It was my first semester here. Uh, so we definitely had a lot of questions, and with planning ahead, I was able to have time to ask those questions and to do the research needed so that my parents knew where I was, knew all the ins and outs, and I felt safe knowing that someone at home knew what I was doing, where I was, and all that good stuff. And as far as the practicals of funding the trip, so any kind of study abroad trip that's through the, that is, that you'll find on the study abroad office through UNT, you'll be able to use your UNT financial aid on. Correct. So the two programs that we have that allow that is faculty-led and exchange. Those are a for sure deal. 
affiliate, it can sometimes work, but it just, it does get a little iffy and that's where you would want to talk to special programs. And that is a like three or four person department within financial aid that can really answer those financial aid questions for you. The study abroad office really can't. We can see that you're on financial aid and how much it is, but we can't answer the ins and outs. And with the exchange programs, you are paying UNT. The amount of UNT tuition. Yes, which is very nice. You pay UNT just like you would if you were taking a class here, but you're just not here, right. which is very nice. So if you figured out how to pay for your normal semesters at UNT, figuring out how to study abroad on an exchange program, um, you're, you're obviously going to have some extra costs involved in right. flying to the other country and differences in how much things cost. But as far as the tuition goes, if you have a good plan for how to pay for your tuition here, that'll make it way easier to come up with a good plan for how to pay your tuition abroad because you're looking at a very similar cost structure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so when you come in for a study abroad coaching session, we're going to start by looking at that usually. We're going to look at, I, we pull up the budget sheet that's offered on the study abroad website for your individual trip, and then we can take a look at your financial aid and say, all right, you know, we can use this financial aid to put towards the trip, um, which generally covers a lot. Summer can be a little different because the amount of aid that you get then might be a little bit more difficult to predict. But looking at financial aid is usually one of the first steps we take. And then we can look at kind of that net cost that's left over and make a plan for how you're going to save for that amount. So, Anything that I missed or that I should have asked when it comes to planning financially for study abroad? Um, something that was mentioned earlier is, yes, you can receive uh, federal financial aid during the summer that can cover um, study abroad costs. However, you do need to be taking six credit hours. So if your program is only three hours, you do need to take a class either before you go or when you get back in order to receive that federal financial aid. And then the financial aid will not disperse until you hit that sixth hour. So if you study abroad first and then take a class when you get back, it won't disperse until you get back. So that is something a lot of students struggle with, and that's something to, again, budget for. Excellent point that I forgot to bring up. Mm -hmm. um, what else did I miss that you all think is worth sharing about money and study abroad? If you're interested in a study abroad 101, you can sign up for those on the study abroad website. Um, there's a URL, but I don't know. But if you just Google UNT Study Abroad, there's a button that says Study Abroad 101, and you can click on that. And it's just like scheduling an appointment for an advisor, uh, academic advising, except it'll allow you to pick a Study Abroad 101 session. And then once you've done that, if you're like, okay, I want to take the next steps, you can also schedule your uh, Study Abroad advisor appointment through that same portal. And then you do need to attend a study abroad 101 before scheduling an appointment with one of our advisors, just so that our advisors know what baseline knowledge you have on studying abroad. And so we're not answering uh, the same questions over and over again. Um, and then the, st uh, the study abroad 101s are available through our website, and you would just go under with the tab that says request advising and group advising. Awesome. So first step would be Study Abroad 101. Second step would be meeting with a Study Abroad Advisor. Um, and then once you've kind of done some of that and got an idea of which trip you might be planning on going on, 
you can call our office or email our office to set up a study abroad coaching session as well to look at some of the more money specific aspects of planning for that trip. And we do also recommend, please see your academic advisor so that you know what classes you can take while you're abroad. That is something very important that many students forget and it leads to a lot of problems with courses. <laughs> awesome. Well, do either of you have any final tips, words of wisdom, advice, or just encouraging encouragement about why should, students should think about studying abroad? I think study abroad is one of the best experiences I've had in college, and I highly recommend it to everyone. I grew personally in places I didn't think I ever would, didn't know I could, and it, it's very worth it. I learned more in five weeks of study abroad than I did in the first four semesters I was at UNT. Academically, uh, just like when it comes to myself, socially, just all the things that you learn, it like you can't even begin to list all the different ways that you grow in different ways while you're on study abroad. And I think that if you really want to study abroad, you can find a way to afford it. There are so many options and scholarships and ways to figure out how you can financially position yourself so that you can go. And I think that it's really important that if you want to go, you, you meet with somebody and you figure out how you can make it work. It seems like a lot of money, but it is 100% worth it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to our study abroad ambassadors, Andrew and Lauren, for being willing to talk to us and share some of their experiences. And if you want to get in touch with that office or with our office, you can go to both of our, we both have websites where you can set up appointments. So please be in touch with us with any questions or comments about studying abroad. And we hope to help you explore the world. Once again, that was Andrew and Lauren, two of our UNT study abroad ambassadors. If you have any ideas or feedback for the show, you can feel free to reach out at moneymanagement at unt.edu. Also, if you have any questions that you would like to hear answered on our Mean Green Mailbag episodes, you can send them to that address as well. If you like the show, please share it with your friends or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week.